Hi, I'm Angela Lee and welcome to the Will to Live podcast where we share with you the gifts of living. I speak to inspiring wellness leaders, mums, celebrities, business people, super grannies and more to help you live your potential, connect to your purpose and bring joy to your life. Discovering your will to live a fulfilling life starts now. Welcome everyone to the next episode of the Will to Live podcast and today's guest is someone I got to know really well this year actually in Asia, Ben Seong. And Ben Seong is the founder of the Australian Strength Performance um, business. It's Australia's premier fitness brand focused on body composition, athletic performance and optimal nutrition. Having graduated with an honours degree in psychology, yes, he's very smart. Ben is also a level five Poliquin strength coach, Czech practitioner and IWSN sports nutrition specialist and a highly sought after international presenter. He literally speaks around the world. His expertise in combining specific training protocols with optimal nutrition has helped him produce top-ranked athletes in over 16 different sports, as well as champion bodybuilders, fitness models, and pageant queens, including Miss Australia 2011 and Miss Malaysia 2012. And Ben, I'm going to be testing you. I might be um, Miss Gold Coast 2020, so we'll, we'll work Done. on that. And Done. And more recently, Ben's developed a range of certified courses of hypertrophy, fat loss, nutrition, and coaching. Each course translates high-level theory into practical and applicable concepts that are 100% results-driven. He's taught these courses in over 15 countries, spanning Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, Europe, and the Middle East. And he's created ASP Education International, the education sector of the brand. So he's like, he's also got a two-year-old son and another baby on the way in April. So he is one busy guy. So thanks for joining us today, Ben. Thank you for having me. Excited to be on. Yeah, it's cool, actually. And it's... um. I'll be really honest, it's that the, one of the main reasons I wanted to get Ben on is I got to, to chat to him a lot when we were both in the, um, at the Age of Fitness Conference and again recently in New Zealand. And I guess it's really interesting sometimes, like Ben's got a very, um, athlete, what will we call your physique? A very athletic physique. He's very ripped. He's very strong. You know, he's got that bodybuilder physique. And it was really interesting. And his topics on fat specialization and things like this, I immediately made an assumption and you should never make an assumption. It's one of the four agreements you should never make that, oh my God, he just must be one of those guys into just all those supplements and that unhealthy way of training. Right? So it wasn't until I actually spoke to him about exactly what he does. And it's completely not that at all. It's very holistic. It's very healthy. And I think there's some really important things that we can learn today from Ben to, that everyone here on this podcast can actually take away, you know, to improve our body composition and our vitality as well. So there you go, Ben, no pressure, but that's, that's, I'm really excited to sort of, I guess, to talk to you um, about that. And I guess, you know, when someone approach, like when someone comes to you, like, how would you, I know it's a very generalized term and it's very individual but if I said to you or if someone said to you you know they want to lean up and look better and feel energized what are some of the key areas that you look at because you're not all just smash it and supplements what a broad question where yeah. do I start really yeah. Yeah, um, like just a general thing and then we can delve deeper maybe yeah, yeah, you're sure. certainly not supplements and and heavy smashing it like that are you well depends yeah it really depends on the individual I guess mm-hmm. You know, what, what is very interesting is when you mentioned looking at me and, and having a certain physique, well, when I look at myself, I wouldn't classify myself as having any sort of a, I guess, a bodybuilding physique. I, I maintain a physique that reflects uh, my health. Mm-hmm. I maintain a physique that reflects 
the age that I want to be. And I always tell people I'm 22 every year and I, I celebrate anniversaries. So I just had my birthday and I'm 22 this year yet again. Yeah. I feel great, you know, and, and that's one of the main mm. things because bodybuilding and really what it's all about, it, it, it is building the body up in health. You know, you should mm. really look as healthy as you are inside. Mm. And the problem with the industry now is it's going topsy-turvy. Mm. And this is where people are trying to look a certain way through unhealthy means. You know, this mm. is what you're also talking about where you're smashing the body and you're loading up with a whole bunch of supplements. And mm. do I believe in supplements? Yes. Do I believe in training heart? Yes. But there is a place, a time, and we need to look at other things as well, such as, you know, whether the body receives those supplements well. Uh, mm. What is your digestion like? And these are some of the things that I look for in clients uh, to find out a little bit more about their life. What is their stress levels like? You know, if their stress levels are high uh, from a norm basis, based on work, based on lifestyle, why would I then be smashing them in the gym? Because that could add on an extra load of, of stress to the system. Mm. So it's really about understanding individualization of nutritional plans, of mm. any sort of training plans to fit the individual. And every approach should be taken differently. Yeah. And so, so what are some of the key areas you look at? So you look at the stress that they've got going on in their life. You look at digestion. So what are some of the other things, you know, in general terms that you consider, I guess, before, you know, doing these programs? Yeah. Uh, two things. One of them is their sleep to start off with. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and as you know, sleep affects everything. It, it is basically the button to reset the body again. If they're not sleeping well, mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're most likely to get an individual with poor insulin health. You're most likely to get an individual that craves sugar with high stress levels because their body's not able to regenerate. So I always look at their sleep first for one. Secondly is always their mental state. So what do they want to get out of a training program? Is it for health? Is it for aesthetics? Is it for confidence? Uh, and everyone needs a different approach uh, to lay the information that they need based on you know, their, their situation. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, you know, with sleep, so many people do struggle with sleep. What are some of the things that you've seen work really well with some of the clients that you work with to improve that for them? You know what, what is really interesting, and I always uh, kind of talk about this, is the last meal of the day before bed. And a lot of people don't realize it, but if you are a, a typical gym goer, you mm -hmm. would get uh, your trainers or you would, you know, by yourself, by reading articles, be more likely to have something like a protein shake, for example, before bed or a protein mm -hmm. shake through the day. Typically, the last meal of the day is actually critical to the quality of sleep that you have. So if you have, let's say, for example, a protein shake, and we know that a lot of people that have protein shakes have whey protein, milk protein, mm -hmm. and, they, and their bodies are not actually tolerant to breaking down milk. And most mm -hmm. people don't realize that. So when you have a whey protein, thinking that that's actually good for you, the quality of that protein or the milk actually causes a spike of cortisol stress in your system. Mm. So if that is the last meal you have before you go to bed, then expect your sleep to be bad. So mm. that actually affects the quality of sleep. You know, some people, on the other hand, when you talk about diets, will go on really low-carb diets, right? You could have a high-protein, high-fat, really low-carb diets, mm. but that actually can affect the quality of sleep as well. Uh, and so they, 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 they go into a really shallow sleep, not able to, to get into deep sleep. So finding out exactly what they're eating before they go to bed actually affects the quality of sleep quite a lot. And, and people don't realize that. Yeah. And do you encourage a bigger meal in the evening? Cause I know most people follow the path, you know, eat like a king at breakfast and then, you, you know, a pauper at dinner, like a lot of people would be doing that or they try not to have much for dinner. Yeah. What would you say to people who do that? 
I think it depends also on the time that they eat, the, the, the timing between sleep and the last meal. Now, obviously, if you're eating six o'clock and you're sleeping at 12 o'clock, well, you probably will need to eat something more substantial. But if you're eating at seven and you're trying to sleep at eight, mm. uh, obviously your meal should be smaller. But again, that is also, you also need to kind of reference that with regards to the different body types. As you know, yeah. you know some people do well on bigger meals in the evening and some people mm. just don't do well because if they metabolize their food fast, because understand that sleeping as well is a form of fasting, isn't it? Mm. You're fasting for eight hours. And if you're a fast metabolizer of food, you will be hungry throughout. So you probably need something a little bit more substantial. So body types come into play as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really, I know so many people who struggle with sleep and they, they wouldn't, they do so many other things. They wouldn't actually look at the last meal is something that they wouldn't consider. So I think that that's really um, important. Is there anything else that's a big help for people with sleep? So the last meal of the day, is there anything else that you find works really well? Yeah, I think also their perception of what actually stresses them out. So most people don't realize that we are continually being exposed to stresses nowadays. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you look around us, typically if you go to an office, you get white fluorescent lights, like the ones here I, I had as well, right? But white fluorescent lights are designed to mimic the, the sun at 12 o'clock midday. And so that's, it's meant to spike your cortisol up. If you're exposed to an environment like that, whether you go to the gym or whatever the case is, your cortisol, your cortisol levels right up there. And then you go home and you want to try to wind down. Uh, now, cortisol is a uh, hormone that takes some time to actually flush out of your system. Mm. Right? So you, you can't expect to sleep straight away. So most people having the idea that, hey, it's okay. Once I finish work, I go back and I can come down and sleep. Don't actually get to sleep properly until you know, one or two in the morning. And then mm. by six o'clock, they're up again. So they don't consider the fact that uh, there are external stresses around them in this environment mm. uh, that actually stress them out a lot more. I think people should be more conscious of that and, and understand how their body needs to wind down before they go to bed. Yeah, that's so important, like dimming the lights and yeah, having that downtime. And yeah. like in terms of sleep, like have you seen big like changes in clients' results? Because I say this to people, so I'd love to get your sort of experience on this as well, is that when you improve someone's sleep, like what are some of the changes that you've seen, I guess, either in them hormonally or their body fat or their training? Like it'd be pretty significant, I suppose. Massive. Yeah. Uh, one, let's, let's talk about body composition because yeah. this, is, this is what uh, I guess the, the, the topic is. Yeah. Sleep is able to do a, a huge range of different things. First and foremost, it, it is the one thing that actually causes or increases insulin sensitivity. Now, we know that insulin is, is the hormone of storage, but it's also important that your insulin is being regulated, especially when you're having sugar, right? Mm. Uh, and if you're not sleeping well, research, research has actually, actually likened your insulin to be like that of a diabetic person. So if you're taking, you know, you get up because of uh, poor sleep, your leptin levels, your body is not able to register that you're full. And so you tend to eat more. And mm. this is what we see with people who work you know, night shifts, for example, mm -hmm. they tend to binge on foods. They tend to make poorer the decisions on eating foods. They tend to be sugary foods and their weight spirals out. So sleep is the one thing that gets them more insulin sensitive. That means that they will crave less sugar. They will make better decisions in choosing their foods and they can, they can handle sugar better even when they take it, which is great. Now, in saying that as well, what I typically find for a lot of my clients is a good night's sleep, they get up leaning, for sure. Their legs lean out, they flush out a lot of excess water under the skin, and sometimes, you, you know, like, um, I guess when, 
the, the way I, I see this is if you get a, a female that is having a period, for example, mm -hmm. of PMS, they tend to store a lot of water, some females. Mm -hmm. and is mm -hmm. that sort of water that people can store under the skin? We call that false fat. So it's not real fat, but you feel really pudgy and soft. Mm. And that, that water storage can be because of inflammation. Mm. Good night's sleep will eradicate that. You know, so it basically lowers that cortisol level, uh, increases the growth hormone production, and you get a flush water out. So you get up a lot leaner, which is great. Mm. Uh, increases your anabolic capacity. Obviously, mm. you're able to put on muscle more easily. Yeah. Uh, your thinking gets a lot better. So if you're a person looking to lose weight or to change your body composition, mm. motivation is key. If you're not motivated to work out or to, to make better choices with food, you will not change your body shape. And sleeping yeah. well gives you that motivation. It's uncanny. You get two people, one with good sleep and one without sleep, and you get the person with good sleep that is just motivated to get things done. But you don't realize that. You don't attribute it all to sleep, but sleep does amazing things yeah it's so good and i think it's um it's certainly something to be honest i've lacked the last few years like with a newborn baby and then now with a toddler on my own i'm the only one who can get up so my sleep's been like hugely disrupted but i guess it's you know i've had to implement other things like you know maybe more meditation and rest breaks during the day to be healing but hopefully it's starting to get better because sometimes things are beyond our control like your shift workers and stuff like that so i think there's always things that we can do but it is critical and it's um yeah, that's, it's so important. So I hope people can really take that on board. If there's, you know, a, definitely a place to start, like sleep is, you know, one area that, you know, you could definitely delve into. And in terms of like um, digestion, Ben, like that's obviously a very key area as well for people in terms of being able to, I guess, absorb their nutrients and, and get the body composition they like. So how do you sort of approach um, digestion with people? Are there specific questions that you ask people or things that you get them to do? Absolutely. So digestion is, is a big area. It's, a, it's an area I'm really interested in because mm. at the end of the day, you are really not what you eat. You are what you can digest. There's mm. a, you can be eating the best foods in the world, but if you're not digesting it or breaking it down and absorbing the nutrients, then what good is that food to you? Mm. And this is very interesting because a lot of the clients that I see as well tend to be those that are very, uh, I guess, invested in tests, a lot of blood tests and a lot of, you know, all these sort of different tests, uh, chemical analysis and gut tests. And mm -hmm. there is a place for testing and, and science is fantastic. But at the end of the day, if you're too concerned about the testing, but not even looking at how you are digesting or breaking down foods, mm -hmm. then those tests are quite useless. Mm -hmm. So I, I like to bring everything back to the basics. And so I do give them a, a range of different uh, questionnaires that they will answer to give me an idea about their digestion. Mm -hmm. uh, digestion is related to stress levels. The more stressed the person is, the less effective their digestion ability is. Mm -hmm. uh, and you would start to correlate people who are highly stressed with people who crave sugar because sugar is very easy to break down and your digestion doesn't have to work over time for it. Mm -hmm. So people crave sugar as opposed to protein. You never see anyone who's stressed saying, can you give me a piece of steak? That doesn't happen. Uh, and that's one thing that we understand because people who are highly stressed get up in the morning and they don't crave any sort of protein as well. Mm -hmm. uh, they are very carb dominant or sugar dominant and mm. with the sugar spikes in the morning what tends to happen is as your insulin goes up drops and they create those kind of sugar spikes through the day and that actually ruins their choices of food throughout the day so they're more than likely to start binging and eating on sugar as opposed to uh i guess protein sources that will keep their sugar level re relatively stable Mm -hmm. uh, so again, going back to digestion, it would be understanding the level of stress. It would be looking also at the energy levels through the day. If they're eating good foods, 
for example, how are their energy levels? We're looking at things like food intolerances. How do they react to certain foods? And most people are very numbers-based. And this is the problem, I guess, with the, the body composition industry. It's, it's an industry based on calories. It's an industry based on diet plans. But with every sort of diet plan and numbers and calories, which, are, which is good to let people understand the basis of nutrition, mm-hmm. they don't teach people to understand how their body reacts to certain food. So if I went, how do you feel after eating that piece of chicken? How do you feel after eating you know, that piece of steak? Most people go, I don't know, I've just met my calorie count and proteins. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great to know that, but how do you feel? And how do you feel is really what, what is termed biofeedback. It's about understanding your body better. It's about being in tune with yourself. And that's what health is about. It's about understanding how in tune are you with that food that you're taking? Do you want to eat it or do you not want to eat it? Do you have to force feed yourself or do you mm-hmm. not? Or are you actually leaning towards sugar cravings when, you know, it's not an actual craving for a particular food? Yeah. It's to talk to them about them understanding uh, biofeedback. And if they don't have an idea of biofeedback, that becomes a problem. Uh, we also look at things like stool, poo. You are what you poo. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, it's a bit of a iffy topic for most people, but yeah, really, mm. yeah, exactly. Super important is, is understanding what actually comes out is a function of what goes in. So if your poo is, is not coming out properly, if you have constant diarrhea or constipation, if it's mm-hmm. sticky, if it's smelly, if it looks a certain way, then it tells me how your digestion is actually, is, is actually happening within your system. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, 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 uh, we actually go through quite an extensive range of questions to find Appreciate. out what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's important for people to bring that self-awareness. So even, you know, as simple as, you know, after listening to this podcast tomorrow, actually just bring your awareness to what you're eating and how you're actually feeling after that. Actually take notice of what your stools are doing because that is all they're telling us information. So I think it's um, really important and there's simple things that people can do you know, to work on things. And, you know, something interesting, what you said about, you know, the carbs being easier to digest, what I've seen a bit, and I don't know if you've seen this, is that people obviously go vegetarian or vegan, they cut off protein and they feel better. And often they feel better, I believe, is because they've taken that load off the gut. They still haven't healed the gut in the digestion. You know, if they heal that, you should feel good. Not everyone, different body types, but you should feel relatively good being able to digest protein. It shouldn't feel like how it was feeling. Is that something that you've seen with people as well? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Now, it's an indication, firstly, of, of a couple of things. Now, a lot of people nowadays, if you look at, uh, so there, there are two things. One of them is looking at it from a physiological point, which means that if you're not able to digest protein well, so if, if they go, look, I can't break down protein, I feel like eating more carbs, mm-hmm. this is not necessarily a bad thing. It is just your body giving you an indication. Mm-hmm. It's telling me, first and foremost, that, a specialized organ in your body called your stomach is not working optimally. Now your stomach is an organ that is, is there to break down at least 90, 90% of the protein before it enters your small intestine. So it's, it's a organ specialized for protein digestion. Mm. Uh, and what we're looking at here is hydrochloric acid. That is the environment of your stomach. Now, if you don't produce enough hydrochloric acid, that tells me that your ability to break down proteins is minimized. Now, how many people we know get up in the morning and they don't feel like eating any sort of protein? Don't talk to me about protein. Give me sugar. Give me carbs. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, their body is giving them a a, a sign that they don't produce enough hydrochloric acid. That's Mm -hmm. common because either you're too stressed Mm -hmm. or secondly, you are brought up uh, and, and brought up to think that eating carbs 
is normal and eating protein is abnormal. This is a societal thing, right? So in Australia, obviously, we talk about having cereal in the morning, skim milk and breads and buns and stuff like that. Whereas if you look at other countries, let's say you go to Asia, for example, they have meat and noodles in the morning. And yeah. so if you have meat and noodles in the morning, how weird would it be? And so we always, we're taught, we're taught to, to kind of think in a certain way, behave in a certain way, because that was how we were being brought up. But we've never actually listened to our body to actually see what our body needs. Yeah. We, we are brought up to think that having that high and that low after breakfast, eating sugary foods is normal because we don't know how our body should feel if it actually had protein. Yeah. So it's, it's, I love those noodle breakfasts in Asia countries for breakfast. It's yeah. funny. Every time I go there, I love it. Eh? You put all, you know, they make the, the, you know, the chicken noodle dishes and all the veggies. It's, it feels so good and I love it. And then I come back and I just forget to do it. You know, you get into those habits. So you've just reminded me, I am going to do that and I am going to post that I've done that. Because I do feel good when I when I've done that. Yep. In terms of um, that's me me digressing. But in terms of like hydrochloric acid, so obviously stress is a big player. So we know that when you're under high, huge amounts of stress, you don't produce as much hydrochloric acid. Are there other things that you do for people to help improve their hydrochloric acid? Would you recommend people take that a supplement or other things that you use? Uh, the only time I'll get people to take that is after running through a, a panel of questions with them. So typically, a lot of the gut issues that we see nowadays, and you know, a, a recent sort of research from the states actually shown that a lot of the healthcare uh, sort of issues that is going on, a good seventy percent is actually gut based. So people have digestion problems. They've got things like acid refluxes. We call that good. There's a whole range of uh, esophageal problems. These are all related to low hydrochloric acid levels. In fact, when you look at things like stomach ulcers, a lot of the time, stomach ulcers is also related to low hydrochloric acid levels. And the reason being because hydrochloric acid is secreted to create the optimal environment for the enzymes of your stomach to work. And these enzymes are what breaks down the protein. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't have enough hydrochloric acid, these enzymes don't work well. So your protein doesn't break down, it sits there. Mm. that's why people feel heavy and they don't think it's agreeing with them yeah, yeah. so this is why they believe oh i don't feel good with proteins because they don't produce enough of that optimal environment but the, the hcl and hydrochloric acid what it also does is it kills bacteria it's mm. there to kill bacteria now if you're eating food and we know that a lot of the foods have bacteria going in if you don't have enough hcl you don't effectively kill that bacteria and so what could happen is if if the stomach fosters bacterial growth in it it could actually lead to stomach ulcers. And we know now that ulcers have been caused by a particular bacteria called H. pylori. Mm. And that is the growth of that, that bacteria. And the bacteria exists within our gut. It is a, uh, an evolutionary mechanism of, of our gut, of our body. Mm. Um, but because we do not have enough HCL, it's an overgrowth of H. pylori. Now, if that food that has bacteria does not get broken down, bacteria doesn't get killed effectively, and that goes into our small intestine, that creates a whole issue, again, with your mm. gut microbiome, introducing bacteria into your small intestine, and that could cause, you know, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And mm. this is where people get a whole, whole bunch of problems with, you know, bloatedness, they can't eat raw vegetables, they don't feel good, stuff like that. So mm. this is all based on low hydrochloric acid levels. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? So you would sort of get people to approach stress and to not take a supplement without getting checked of a panel of questions first. So you wouldn't recommend just people go and buy it off the shelf. It's important to get checked first. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And the reason why also, because, you know, when, when we're talking about low HCL levels, we need to understand whether it's environmental based. 
if it if it's is is your low hydrochloric acid levels a function of the environment uh, because you're highly stressed or is it because of something else if you are a you know if you're a small part of the population or the minority that could be could be related to something else like genes or something mm. then giving you hydrochloric acid may not necessarily be the best option and on top of that for example if you're also taking uh, painkillers for example that actually thins out the lining of the stomach and so if i give you excessive hydrochloric acid that actually causes more harm than it does good so uh, in saying so as well this is a, a sort of a strategy that only can be applied once you understand the causes the pathological causes of what what actually is going on within the client itself yeah so you've got to go a little bit deeper and are there any sort of general principles in terms of digestion like obviously you know stress is one are there any other things that you advise people to do like in general terms that people could take away today to create a better environment for them to improve their digestion 100 mm. uh, one thing i would tell you so there, there if you if you're looking at uh things to add into your nutrition mm-hmm. enzymes is definitely one of them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at enzymes itself which other animal actually cooks the food before they eat Human beings are the only species that actually cook their food. Every animal eats their food raw. What comes with raw food, yes, is enzymes. Every, uh, that's why people talk about the raw diet, right? But also on top of that, bacteria. So we, we cook food to kill the bacteria, but to replace that because we don't have the enzymes now from the food, we have to create our own enzymes. That's why our pancreas, you look at it, is actually three to four times larger than the average animal. For, for size, for, for our, our body size per se. Mm. You know, so we are specialized to create enzymes to break down that food. Now, if we don't have enough enzymes, forget about the foods being broken down effectively. So what we will need to do is then ingest enzymes. So a lot of plant-based enzymes can be really good. Yeah. Uh, and I would tell people to, to take in your lipases that break down fat, your amylases that break down carbs, uh, and your proteases that break down protein as well. So this will all come uh, within the meal that you you externally take so supplementation but this also forms a baseline to make sure that you absorb your food so enzymes is key Mm. second thing that i would tell them to take is bitters now bitters is very common so if you always look you look at um sort of uh, uh, um ancient society Mm. they would always start the meal or end the meal with something bitter it could be a herb it could be a tea Uh, we're looking at things like whether it's peppermint tea or dandelion tea Mm. Uh, a lot of these bitters in fact cultures would have things like aperitifs so mm. little you know li- liqueur shots that are bitter that i just thought i'd clarify for my audience he's not telling everyone to start drinking lemon lime and bitters so i'll just go oh cool we love ben he's telling us to drink to improve our digestion yeah. said that. <laughs> anything that's bitter actually bitter, causes yeah. what we call a bitter reflex mm. uh, bitter reflex is one of that that actually increases hydrochloric acid production so it actually helps us with digestion as well mm. So mm. bitter herbs, that's actually good. So I, w- I would say something like a peppermint tea or, or a, 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 a dandelion tea would actually. And are they best after a meal? When, is there a particular before a meal, after a meal after, that you would recommend? Oh, I probably would take it after rather than before. Uh, yeah. Because you want to dilute, obviously drinking a lot of fluid, you don't want to dilute your hydrochloric acid. Yeah, the breakdown and stuff. Yeah, no, that's cool. Oh, there's some awesome um, tips there, which is really, really great. And I guess... You know, when I look at your life, like you, I don't know how many trips you did this year, but there seems to be a lot. Like you travel internationally yeah. quite well, a bit. Correct. Yeah. So you're obviously I'm very... One third, of, uh, one third of my years was travelling this year. Yeah. So, and I know what it's like when you travel. It's like, it's not just, 
the travel and the presenting and it's quite busy there, but then you have to come back and, you know, catch up on life when you get back. So it can be quite a busy life. And I guess, you know, for people that do travel or have busy lives, like how do you sort of maintain your health when you're traveling? Are there sort of key tips that you do? I know when we were boarding our plane in, um, where were we in Bangkok, you had your, your, your greens there in your container. So are there any things that you make sure that you take with you traveling? Or how yeah. you best do it in different countries? The one thing I like to do, Ange, is I like to make sure that I can rotate my food. So food rotation is, is one thing that would help minimize food intolerances. It's a, a big thing that I'm, I'm really into. Uh, and food rotation is basically meaning that I want to be able to rotate the sources of protein that I put into my body. Because mm-hmm. if I stay on the same protein all the time, and the way protein is nowadays, is that I'll start to build up. Uh, most of the time, or, or most likely an intolerance to a, a particular protein, be chicken, mm-hmm. beef, or whatever cases. So mm-hmm. I make sure that while I'm in Australia, uh, I make it a point to rotate my proteins very regularly, including, mm-hmm. including all my greens, and, and make sure I, 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 uh, I make an effort to change things up. Now, when I go to Asia, or when I go to a different country like you know uh, the Middle East, or whatever the case is, mm-hmm. most places would have chicken as a form of protein. Mm-hmm. So that's when I would stick to a similar sort of protein over there, but I always make sure that I can rotate it. So um, that's one of the things that I, I always do is just to, to make sure that I can rotate my protein. Uh, the next thing is just make sure as well that I can digest those foods well. So mm-hmm. when I go over there, I don't know the quality of foods that I put into my body uh, and I won't be a pain to try to justify every single meal that I eat. I'm just going to eat there. Uh, so I want to make sure that I'm absorbing nutrients. So I always try to bring myself a probiotic if I can. Mm-hmm. as well as some enzymes mm-hmm. uh, as well. Yeah, so these are the kind of the two main things that I always bring, and, and a, greens, a greens powder. Yeah, you take all those. And in terms of like um, your sleep, and do you have any tips around that? Because obviously different time zones. Are there any certain things that how you manage that? You know what? I actually am pretty good with that. Mm-hmm. Um, just used to it? You get used to it? I just do it. I just do it. I, I, I do it because I don't question, I, I kind of, don't question the whole thing. I'm, I'm kind of set in routine where I, I hit a place. My mind is set on, you know, teaching and, and basically being passionate yeah, yeah. about what I do. And that's yeah. it. I literally go in. I'm able to kick into the time zone pretty fast. I think my problem is coming back to Australia. That's when it kind of hits me. But going over there, it's pretty straightforward for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. And in terms of um, like your training, like how often do you sort of train for yourself i guess it would be varied with your travel and stuff as well but when you're back home versus traveling like how do you keep on top of all that to be very honest with you mm-hmm. traveling doesn't stop me mm-hmm. i i still train i'll find a place i mean that's the because i guess my courses are all if it's body composition based it's uh you know i i, I do a lot of practical work yeah so i have to find a gym where i can actually teach the participants at home. so i make use of that you know, so I, I, I always train. I always train. There is no, uh, I guess it, it is not an option for me. You know, and I, I would train at least five to six days a week. Mm-hmm. I have, to, I have to get stuff done. Yeah. Yep. No, that's good. And you do a combination of strength-based work and cardio in your in your training. It if, I do, if I do cardio, a lot of the times it would be still uh, resistance sort of work, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's body weight work or, or movement-based work. Uh, once in a while, I definitely hop in some machines if I can find any or walk outside or run outside, but I'm not big on cardio on his own accord. Uh, definitely, definitely more strength based. Yeah. And I guess, um, obviously you've worked with a lot of high performance athletes and, you know, physique contestants, but Mm -hmm. in terms of like, I guess 
you know, your average person walking through the door, like just say, you know, whether or not it's me or like some other mums, because I know there are a lot, quite a few mums listen to this podcast. Like, what would you sort of, and I guess it depends so much individually, but in terms of like their training, if they wanted to get some bang for buck in terms of training to help them with their body composition, what would be some of your, I guess, key recommendations for them? So definitely strength work, like. Correct. Because I, I well, the, the one thing I want to say is I think a lot of people has, have a misconception about strength work. Mm. Uh, it is an all or nothing approach. That means if they go to the gym, they have to train like a bodybuilder for strength work. And strength work could mean so many things. It could yeah. mean working with your body weight. If you're not efficient in moving your own body weight, that's strength for you. you yeah. know? Uh, it could mean moving through a full range of movement. If you're not able to move your body fluidly, that's a problem. Uh, and I can apply these principles even to bodybuilders nowadays. You look at them and they're very stiff. They all walk around like they're bags of sausages. And you know what? At the end of the day, that's not what bodybuilding was about. Bodybuilding was about being strong and healthy and being as strong as you looked. So if you could move and you, know, you, you, you were healthy in there, that's great. That was what you needed to look at. Uh, so strength work for, for moms really is what do they want to get out of it? Do they want to be able to, to lift the baby in one hand and, and hold groceries in one hand? If that's strength work for them, great. Then they need to be able to apply movements that could carry over into whatever they're doing. It's, it's mm. what is their function. They don't have to train like a bodybuilder because that's not their function. Mm. Uh, and strength work for them, normally what, what I look for is, is movement of the body. How well can they move through a range of movement without, without any pain? Uh, how well can they maintain that range of movement after multiple reps because they need the endurance mm-hmm. all day for the baby, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it could be anything from putting some weight in a pram and actually pushing it like a, you know, like a prowler. You yeah. could always improvise. You could always go to the park, get some free squats done, but actually mm-hmm. move through ranges, work through tempo. So there are many ways of actually making an, a simple exercise, a bodyweight exercise more challenging, and that will be strength-based for, mm-hmm. you know, a mother, for example. Yeah, yeah. And all of these things, as you said, really help with body composition. So, you know, and there's things that we can do. Like you don't have to go to a gym. You can do all that stuff. You can work on your digestion, your sleep, your enzymes, all of those things. And all of a sudden your body, you know, composition shifting. 100%. And, and more than just that, body composition really, I mean, if you look at, at what it is, it, you want to be able to put on lean muscle because we, we understand that for every sort of kilo of, of lean muscle you put on, your body can actually utilize and burn up to 154 calories extra a day. So that's a good thing. Lean muscle is great, but the problem with lean muscle is it takes two hands to clap, which means that you need to be able to push your body because you, you're causing a, a sort, sort of micro tears within your muscle, and then you need to be able to recover. So if you're, you're there all about pushing yourself and spending two hours in the gym, but you're not recovering well enough, mm. you're not going to be effective in putting muscle either. Right, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. pushing your body means being able to overload it on a progressive level, and that mm-hmm. could mean weight, yes, but mm-hmm. that could also mean how well you do the exercise, which means posture. That could also mean how many reps are you pushing yourself. If today you did seven reps, tomorrow you're doing eight reps with the same weight, same movement, you've progressed. Mm-hmm. So, people when they see that word progress, I think for them it's oh, I've got to lift heavy weights and I've got to move from one weight to another, or you it's not about that, mm-hmm. it's about. It's about being better than you were the previous day, taking one step forward. And there are many ways to look at that. Yeah, yeah, no, I like that. I think that that's really, yeah, that's a really good point as well for people. It's like 
make sure you work hard, but make sure you get that recovery because otherwise, you know, I know so many people are just are going and going and going and they're not getting the results. They're actually putting on weight. Correct. They're not having that recovery and then we get caught in that mindset. Hey, so it's actually good for people to hear that from a, a specialist like you who works with the people that you work with. Like even these athletes have recovery. So, you know, the everyday Joe needs recovery. Correct. And you are only as effective as your recovery. So it's mm. not about how much time you put in there. It's about mm. how well you recover. Yeah. That's really cool. I've actually got a, I'll be having a podcast and you'll be interested in this one with a guy in New York who has a recovery studio. So there's some really um, cool things. Yeah. That they're doing as well. So um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Awesome. Um, now that's awesome, Ben. I love um, you sharing all that stuff. I know, you know, there's some really great practical tools that people could actually you know, go and do now. And I'll definitely share your links because I know you run different courses for trainers as well who are looking at getting more, um, you know, knowledge in this area. So it'd be awesome. I'll put those down um, as well and all the links to follow you because you do some really good, it gives away a lot of value when you post too. So you often do videos and you share different yeah. things. So I know people will learn stuff um, from doing that, which is really cool. And I guess just to wrap up, Ben, the final question is what would be your advice? I ask all my guests this for the the will to live their most fulfilling life. Like what would be sort of Ben Seong's final words on that? Well, I would say give and continue to give. Uh, and and this, is, this is me speaking from experience. Uh, so I used to work obviously in a commercial gym and being in a commercial gym, and now I run my own strength facility, but working in a commercial gym is very interesting because in Australia, we're all independent contractors, right? So you could get 30 different businesses running from a gym and you're very selfish, selfish about sharing your information. And this was what I had to learn through the hard way. Uh, I felt that I, I was a very different person back in the day, keeping a lot of information to myself. Mm. The more I gave, uh, the more I got back. And that wasn't because I wanted to get back, that's why I gave, but I, I, when I moved out of that gym, I felt that this was an opportunity for me to give. I felt that, you know, and now I could give because back in the day, if I started to, to give, people would take it for granted. Mm -hmm. Any businesses competing and everyone's copying you and everyone's trying to do everything. Um, and I was very selfish in my information. Mm. So the one thing I would say is give, mm. give and, and don't question giving. I always questioned it because I felt that if I gave, I would have nothing more and I couldn't have nothing more to share. Mm. Uh, but now, the more I give, the more I've learned. It's a funny way how this kind of rules, it, it, you know, this, this rule actually works. And yeah. I'm not talking just about information. I'm talking about possessions. Yeah. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about energy. I'm talking about love. Mm. The, the more you give, the more you get back. And that's somehow, it's, it's a law of the universe. Yeah, so, and I think that's the ultimate I love that. I think it's the ultimate switch from a lack mentality to the abundance you know, mindset and mentality that there's enough available. So we don't need to hold on to stuff. It's about, you know, giving because there will be enough. And I think that that's such a cool message. No one shared that one yet. So that's a really cool one. Yeah. And, and, and at the same time, you, you cannot take anything with you to your grave. Yeah. You know, if you really want to create an impact, you have to give and give and, and don't question it. Just give. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. I've certainly got some good little tips personally and um, and so I know others will as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing you again soon and we'll pop this up and I'll put all your links underneath and links to your different courses and all your web links for people to follow. But thank you, Ben. I really enjoyed the chat today. It's been really cool. Enjoyed being here. Thank you very much for having me. 
I'm Angela Lee, and you've been listening to Will to Live, the podcast. You can join us on Facebook in our Will to Live online community, that's L-I-V, Facebook group, or follow Angela Lee on social media and at www.angelalee.com.au. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to pay forward the gifts of living, please share with your friends. And if you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast. Thanks so much.